The sing-along podcast would not be possible without the amazing people at Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to record a podcast. First of all, it's free. No hidden fees, nothing. It's completely free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Or you can upload an already recorded episode directly to the app or the website. Anchor will then distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many others. You can even monetize your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So if you've ever had an idea for a podcast but you just didn't know where to get started, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. Anchor, the easiest way to make a podcast. Music lovers, songwriters, this is Casey from Second Echo, and welcome to the Sing Along Podcast. This week we have another Sing Along exclusive featuring a brand new song from my band, Second Echo, which leads me to some very exciting announcements. First of all, over the next few months, we will be moving all of our social media over to our Second Echo community at locals.com. Just tap on the link in the episode notes and then be sure to sign up and join our Locals community to stay up to date with all the latest news regarding the band. And if you'd like to support our Locals community and gain access to all of our exclusive content, you can become a member for just $2 a month. And if you really connect with our music or any artists that you hear on this podcast, we encourage you as always, don't just stream, go to iTunes, go to Amazon, go to the artist's personal website, all of which will be listed in the episode notes each week and download their music, buy their merch, invest in them so that they can continue to create and produce this music that you've grown to love. And finally, on April 30th, we will be releasing the first of three brand new singles, one of which you'll get to hear on today's episode entitled Wide Awake, which is scheduled to be released later this year. But until then, the only place you can hear it is right here on the Sing Along Podcast. We are giving all the faithful listeners to this podcast an exclusive first look at this brand new material. It's our way of saying thank you so much for your support, and hopefully it will help you get to know me better as your host, as an artist, and as a songwriter. And so for this episode, I handed the hosting duties over to a very close friend of mine, He is the inimitable and iconic host of the legendary Thursday Night Acoustic Open Mic at the Tap in Boulder City, Nevada. Here he is, our fearless leader, Mr. Marty Fike. Casey, thank you for having me. Yeah, welcome. (laughs) That sounds better each time you say it. Uh, Welcome to the podcast. And uh, I thought, what better place to uh, do this episode than right here at the top. You might hear a little bit extra background noise this time, but I thought, what a great organic way for us to have a conversation. This is where we met. This is where Absolutely. our relationship started. Yep. And uh, yeah, so many great memories and history here. And good good vibes yeah. coming. Yeah. yeah. So I asked Marty to be a part of this episode uh, because I wanted to try something different. And it's something I'm not super comfortable with because I never want this podcast to be 
uh, something that's a, a shameless way for me to promote my music or the band's music. But I felt like I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, share this song with with the audience because it was such a huge inspiration for this podcast. And it helped me to uh, really appreciate and recognize how uh, rare and special it is to write a song of this caliber and how and and just it was unlike any other song I'd ever written. And not only was I able to capture the emotion and the struggle that I'd been going through just so acutely, but I felt like there was this kind of universal element to the song that I felt like could speak to the human condition or humanity as a whole, you know? And I know that you have had such a special connection with it as well. Uh, from the first time I, I heard this song, I had a connection with it. It's, uh, you know, melody-wise, arrangement, everything about it, I was just like, man, this is, the dude, he just nailed it. He just nailed it. First thing I noticed about that song was uh, the melody. Yeah, that's that's what hit me first. And I mean, y y you also have this 
style in your songwriting where you you add the melody in your guitar or uh, you you vocalize it too mm. without lyrics yeah which i think reinforces the melody to the listener but also puts it in a different uh, vehicle too and i and i think that's important and that's what makes you a unique songwriter i mean i know other artists do that but not many sure so uh, that was the first thing I noticed. The melody was extremely strong. Yeah, and that was the foundation of the song, really, as I remember that main lead line and made vocal line from the chorus was, that was the inception of the song, really, is what I came up with first, yeah. And I also, and, and I've talked about this with you before, um, your chord voicings, too. Oh, yeah. Um, so can you tell me a little bit about like how you voice chords differently than a lot of players? Sure, yeah. So I, I try to do it in such a way where the chord voicing could stand alone on its own because it's almost becomes its own voice or its own version of the hook, you know? And so, you know, there are many different ways I could have capoed and played, but I really liked in this one, you go end up going to like a G chord and you can use this really cool suspended chord. And that when I, I would hammer onto the suspended, it actually be, kind of became part of the part of the hook and part of the melody. Right. So I try to almost listen to the guitar part and play it on its own and, and say, is it interesting on its own? And if it's not, then that's, I try to change it until it is and make it its own, you know? Sure. When I write, if I can't get the song in my head that I wrote, yeah, I generally scrap it. For how, sure. How was this one for you when, when you, for, were, did you just have that melody just nonstop in your head after you wrote the song? Yeah. So this, I love this story because I actually have the voice memo on my phone still. So I was, I was on a cruise with my family. We had done this uh, Alaskan cruise for my parents' 50th anniversary. And it was, it was an Alaskan cruise in the middle of July. Um, so it was still like kind of cold at, during, mm -hmm. at times, like when we were out in the ocean. So I like went and got in the shower cause I was like freezing. I was like, I got to warm <laughs> up and I'm in the shower and on a cruise ship and it's like rocking back and forth. And I just, out of nowhere, that melody just came to me and actually on my phone, it's called boat shower. <laughs> cause that, <laughs> that's that, like that, that's all I could think of. And so, but man, I heard that melody and then. Uh, some of my best writing times are all, I'm a runner. So I'll go out and run and, and, and for the next week, like during the cruise and then for weeks after when I'd go out for my runs, I would hear that melody in my head and I just couldn't get it out. And, and actually we were talking about this earlier too, is I heard it as a country tune every time, like in my head, you know, and, and, and it still sounds in my head, even yeah. the rock version, yeah. uh, it still has that country feel to it, which is great, you know, because, I mean, country music, I think the most popular music in sure. the United States. Yeah. So. But I'm I'm with you. Like, you know, I, I try to record when I have a writing idea, I try to record it right away because I don't want to forget it. But there is that argument as well where you go, well, man, if you can't remember it, is it really worth keeping, you know? And and I don't know. I, I feel like there are some ideas I've had that maybe weren't memorable at first, but then they were just enough of a spark that I could mold it. I know? definitely agree with you. I, ideas are extremely important, especially to get them down mm -hmm. when, when yeah. you, you know, you can um, remember them. Sure. Yeah. So I, I have a lot of ideas come to me, like I'll wake up in the middle of the night and have one. I'm so lazy. It's like, I'll remember tomorrow. I never do. I, I've, I've done that numerous yeah. times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. So, and we had talked about your songwriting and lyric and, and, and melody method, but uh, why don't you uh, discuss that a little bit as far as some artists write lyrics 
and then try to find a melody to go over the lyrics. Some write music first, the chord progressions, and then try to um, fit things over that. How do you go about your process? So for me, it's always about the music first and foremost, like melody, chords, music, all of that comes first. And I, I can't remember a time when I wrote something lyrically first, like for some reason, the lyrics just always come last. And in fact, so much so that I'll, I'll write a song and do it almost to completion at times without any lyrics. And all that's really running through my head are like vowel sounds. I don't know if I, I, if I we had this thing. conversation, yeah. but like, so then I'm trying to think what is a term or a phrase that fits that kind of vowel formation, you know, and that's where wide awake came from was that wide awake were the kind of the vowel sounds I heard there. Yeah. It's, it's funny how many, how many people that I've talked to over the years do that same method yeah. or, or use that same method. Yeah. And now I'm going to have to go back and listen to the song and think about you vocalizing <laughs> the, the, the vowel sounds. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a, there's a couple moments in the song that really grab me. It's at the end of the chorus, how it, how it resolves itself. Yeah. Can you talk about, uh, was that part of the original chorus? Was that added later? Is, is an afterthought? I think maybe we had spoken about this yeah. before. And so what's interesting <laughs> is this song in particular, when I go back and listen to that voice memo that I recorded, that entire chorus was from the word go, which is weird because I heard that chorus in its entirety, which doesn't always happen. As you know, as this song evolves, you'll add little tags or little things to the ends of things. But that's why this song was so special to me because it was so, it came out of me so forcefully. So with such confidence, like it, it was almost finished within the first day or two whenever I heard it because I, I almost heard it in, in, in its entirety from the beginning, which is not typically how I work as a writer, you know. So let's just say some record company, and I love your songs. I mm-hmm. want you to come be a writer for, uh, for different artists. Yeah. If you were like put under the gun and said, hey, you need to write a song. This is what it needs to be about. It needs to, you know, have a great melody. We want it, you know, up-tempo, you know, catchy rock type song. Yeah. Do you think that's something that that you could do or would even want to do? Um, or do you think it stifles creativity and it just adds uh, to more of a formulaic form of songwriting? So I've known people who have done that and everybody I've ever talked to in that position has shared the struggles of that position. And I've always wondered what I would be like in that situation. I will say in the few times, for example, the songwriting competition at the open mic with you, you and I wrote a song based around a phrase and I was amazed at how easy it was when given that limitation. I don't know. There was something cool about that challenge. And I've done that a handful of times where, for example, a friend of mine was doing an independent movie and wanted me to do a song based around the phrase rat race. And so I did that, you know, and then my aunt had asked me to do like a song for our family that kind of talked about our heritage and stuff like that. And so there's something challenging yet freeing in and of itself when you say, okay, here is the clay that you've been given and it's not infinite. And there's something 
for me anyway, I, I, I kind of like competition. I like a challenge to sure. be able to go, can I do this and still make it? Cause I think sometimes people use that as an excuse. It's like, find a way around it, you know, see if right. you can, I, I feel like it sharpens you as a writer to be able to do that. Don't even you know? think of it as a limitation, right? You know, yeah. think of it as like a bullseye, you know, and as a challenge. In, right, exactly. Yeah, totally. Yep. I, I, <laughs> a friend of mine got married and he, he asked me to sing in his wedding, like a savage garden song. And then he asked me, can you write a song for my wedding? Yeah. And I was like, yeah, sure. It ended up being more about me than about him and his wife. <laughs> sure. Nobody noticed though, because I don't even remember how it went in the slightest. Yeah. I'm sure somebody has it on VHS. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's talk about the recording. How about yeah. that? So, um, did you do the harmony vocal? I did. It sounds great. Thank you. Uh, and I love the fifth. Yeah. The fifth sounds really cool. Yeah. When you go into the studio, how did how did your band approach recording it? Did you do bass and drums first? Did you all do like a scratch track? Like how, how did sure. you guys go about it? So this one is still a little bit reminiscent of how I did the last album evolution. Like everything on there except for the bass was, <laughs> was me on this recording. Okay. Um, since then the band has been working on new material recording okay. everybody involved, but but for this particular song, it's still that old way of doing things. And I start off with the drums, just get a really good foundation. And then I'll, it, it kind of varies. I typically like doing the bass last for some reason. And so I'll usually do acoustic, then electric, then lead, and then vocals somewhere near the end. I will say for this one though, I've had this song for long enough and it means so much to me. And I feel like in general, it's such a great song and I can only screw it up by either overproducing it or not adding enough or adding too much. You know, so I was, I, it took me a while to settle on what the final product it's, was it's a tough, be. It's a tough decision. You know, when you go into the studio, yeah. um, especially if like, you know, I can only speak to my own experience when I was writing constantly, I was also playing in a band. Yeah. So we would write a song, finish it at practice, and we'd be playing it out for months and months, maybe yeah. a year even before it got recorded. Yep. So it had time to to evolve, change, uh, breathe. Yeah. Uh, where, yeah, that would be, that would, that would be a lot of pressure yeah. to, because you want to get it right. Yeah. But you absolutely. did, you got it right, I think. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. It's excellent. I got to ask this as a guitar player, how many guitar tracks were there? How many guitar tracks? So we had an acoustic uh, electric rhythm had a, a lead and then I believe there was even another electric rhythm that the guy who mixed I think he added an, even another one just because yeah. he felt like it would help thicken it out yeah then there's a piano buried in there so yeah I mean as far as instrumental tracks go it was it was pretty layered the song definitely has uh you use the word iconic and I'll 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 use it again it has an iconic almost instant classic kind of feel to it. I think because of that hook, because of that, yeah. you know, what other bands, artists, do you think share that quality hmm. that maybe it doesn't even necessarily have to be an influence, Yeah, but like, can you think of an, an artist or a, a band that, that a lot of the songs when you hear them, it's just like, doesn't matter when it was written. They, they all just sound yeah. like instant classic. I know the one that this specific song reminds me of is the gin blossoms for some reason. And okay. they, they were kind of a influence for me as I was learning guitar in middle school, high school. And I just remember that album, that new miserable experience, experience album. Yeah. it had like five or six radio singles on it. I mean, it was, yeah. it was so rare to have an album like that that just had so many 
iconic songs. Even now, as I go back and listen, I was like, oh yeah, like half of the album was on the radio and the, and the hooks were just, they, you go back, oh yeah, I remember that song. And, they, and then you're singing it for a day or two after, you know. Yeah, like uh, found out about you. Dun, 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 yeah, oh yeah, exactly. Dun, 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 Iconic yeah, guitar right? part at the beginning. Yeah, that's a great song. Allison um, Road was on that one, right? Um, uh, hey, Jealousy. Yeah, uh, the, um, it ain't cheating. She if she reminds me of you. That, yeah. that one. That's yeah, a great yeah. one too. Yep. That's like the little country ditty. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think I warped that tape. I think I had it on a tape. <laughs> yeah. Like when I started exactly. college. I worked yep. that one in Counting Crows, August, and everything after. That, yeah, and that's another band. Yeah, I think his ability to to write a good hook and do it in, in such a poetic way. I mean, some of their songs talk about unorthodox hooks. I mean, he, he he had a way of of writing a hook that it wasn't a typical hook, but, it's, right. but it still got stuck, you know. And even a lot of their songs that didn't make it on the radio. I don't think Daylight Fading from the second record made yeah. it on the radio. Right. But that, that hook, da, 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 yep. you know, just, just killer. Yep. So I'm going to kind of move away from the song a little bit more to uh, you as an artist, as an independent artist. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give you an example of an independent artist who basically has been indie from the beginning, but has made a whole incredible career out of just doing his own thing and building his audience up. Yeah. Ben Harper. Oh, yeah. Okay. He started, you know, pre-internet as well. Yeah. So um, do you think that's something that's feasible uh, for people more so now because of the internet, or do you think it was more organic and feasible pre-internet? Um, wow, that's a great question. I, I've never thought about it in terms of when it would have been more feasible. I guess I just look at our current situation and it feels very much like a double-edged sword, uh, which, which is kind of one of the reasons why I started this podcast is because I wanted to draw attention to this concept of, it used to be that we would listen to the radio and there were tons of artists we would listen to on the radio and that's a great song, but we wouldn't go buy the album necessarily. It was a good band, a good artist, but then there were those ones we'd hear, we like, I have to go buy that, you know? And I think one of the things that's lost now is Spotify and all the streaming services have made it so that you can just follow those bands as if you were listening to the radio and never invest any kind of money or anything. And I feel like that's been a detriment to bands in general and artists in general. And so I love those stories, like the Ben Harper stories and some of those people that have kind of done it on their own the whole time. But the problem is, unless he has a fan base that is willing to go buy merch to, to actually shows. buy CDs or vinyl or whatever it is, go see the live shows, you know, it's not sustainable. You know, if, if anybody, right. if everybody only just watches on YouTube and streams on Spotify, then that can be really detrimental to them continuing that career, you know? And it's, and it's also crazy to think that I don't want to get too far off topic that a band in the nineties could sold 20 million records. Right. No one, even the, the, the hottest artists on the planet yeah. will even come close to that anymore. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, we kind of returned to the 1950s in a, in a singles style yeah. era yeah. where, you know, you bought 45s, 45s are now MP3s. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's not album oriented anymore, which I think is tragic. Yes. Obviously. Yeah. Because as an artist, you know, you're putting out a, a work of like, if you're, a, if you're a painter, you don't just give 
a, th- a third of the painting out. Yeah. You know, and Absolutely. say, fill in the rest. Right. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. So, and I think it's made, not intentionally, but uh, in a roundabout way, made music seem more superficial than maybe what it really is. I can see that. I, yeah. I would agree wholeheartedly with yeah. that for sure. Yeah. Which, yes. which is why it's important, like for this podcast, to be uh, nurturing and giving a platform to uh, singer songwriters. And we get so many singer songwriters at the open mic that, but it's because of the quality of performer that people <laughs> stuck around and watched. Yeah, and would come back, and be like, "Hey, I want to hear another song by this Absolutely. guy." Absolutely. And I, I've always been amazed at. I've told you this over and over, like the amount of quality songwriting that we see at this particular open mic is unlike anything I've ever seen. I mean, I've been to many, many open mics in, in numerous states and I, I've never been to one where 70 to 80% of the songwriters and songs of the original material are just killer. Killer. Yeah. They're just gr- really good quality stuff. Yeah. So let's, let's jump back to the um, sustainability of the artist. Yeah. I think it's, and I think you would agree that, it's important as an artist, if, you, if you're going to make a go at it, that you need to be, um, it's called the music business for a reason. Yeah. And, and the business side of it is almost as important as the artistic side, um, because you can't promote your art without a, a vehicle. Absolutely. And um, if you look back, a lot of the bands in the 80s, 90s were smart. They got that record deal. They saved their money. Yep. And they... Yeah. They, they put out independent records that's out on their own labels. Yeah. That way, you know, they were getting the money coming in instead of, yeah. you know, David Geffen or, sure. or whoever yeah. it was. And, um, but nowadays artists don't make money off of music anymore. So do you think that that is ever going to change and flip back? And what do you think is the most important way for artists to generate revenue, to continue to promote themselves in today's climate? Well, I tell you, I certainly hope that it will return to where they can make money. And I know the old adage was, oh, in this current era, the live show is how how they make their money, not off record sales anymore. But now, you know, that's kind of gone by the wayside with (laughs) COVID and everything, you know? And so my hope is that as things open back up, that people will renew that hunger and thirst for live music and that that'll begin. But, but also, as I discussed in the pilot episode of this podcast, I'm really hoping that going through things like global pandemics and race riots and, you know, all, all of these things will cause people to engage with culture and art and music in ways that searching for purpose, searching for answers, searching for comfort, whatever that might be much like it did back in other points in history, you know, and as far as the best ways for artists to make money, I think diversifying and not be, not being afraid to try things outside your, your comfort zone, your wheelhouse and not being pigeonholed. So for example, as we discussed this song, wide awake sounds kind of country, nothing would please me more than to pitch it and have it end up on a country album somewhere with somebody else singing it. I'm fine with that, you know? And, and I think, 
you know, I'm going to keep all, I'm always going to keep the rights. I'm never going to sell the rights. So like that's a moneymaker or that's just the tip of the iceberg. There's so many other ways that musicians can diversify. It's kind of like, I've heard the analogy instead of one big hose, it's a bunch of hoses running into a bucket, you know? Mm -hmm. And so if you've got all these sources of income coming from different sources, you've got a full bucket. It might be a little trickle here and a little trickle here, but that's kind of the point. That's kind of how the modern music business works from my experience. Do you think there's more camaraderie now in music between artists than there was like in the nineties? Do you think it was more competitive back then? And do you see it now more as a kind of a, a brotherhood sisterhood? That's been my experience. Yeah. And especially here in Las Vegas, like oh, that's yeah. been mine. It's so weird. Like I lived in Nashville for five years and you would think, you know, Nashville Bible belt, Southern hospitality. It was so cutthroat and competitive there and then you come to and then and then you come to sin city you know and you got and then i saw i i was blown away by the generosity of of the local music scene here like it 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 was astounding to me there's plenty of work here too i'm sure i'm sure (laughs) sure that has a little bit to do with it but yeah but you know what people's personalities don't change that much sure absolutely i I totally agree with you Yeah. yeah pittsburgh was like if you weren't in the club if you weren't in the, you know, yeah. the, the, the click, it was hard to get in. It, it was a little like that in Ohio too. I'd imagine yeah. so. Yeah. Cause it was all sure. the eighties leftover people that yes. didn't, kept performing and that was really competitive and everybody was like, like I said, in their own special clan. Yeah. So, okay. I'll ask you this. Has the internet and home recording, like the, the access to it ruined music through the sheer amount of product out there? Hmm. I mean, think about this. If you ever, you're familiar with CD Baby. Yeah. If you go on there and they have like these pro looking albums and, uh, you know, the photography and the, the graphics, click on a few random ones sometime. Okay. I don't know if you've ever done this. I haven't. And the amount of pure garbage. Oh, yeah. I'm and just sure. awfulness. I, here, here's my thing. You know, I feel like not a lot has changed. I feel like it's just different packaging. So, for example, you know, it used to be that it was one in a million to get a record deal. And so your chances of making it big in music back in the day was, you know, whatever odds you had one in a million. Now it's probably the same odds, but for different reasons, it's because there's so much stuff out there that the likelihood of your music kind of rising to the top in and amongst all this other white noise are the, are the odds any better? They're probably about the same, but the one thing I will say is you have more power in your hands to accomplish it. So in that respect, I feel like it's been good, but I feel like there's always been a slew of mediocre to bad music out there. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? And it's just now it has a platform and it's kind of in and amongst, you know, the little hidden gems too, you know? So I'm going to kind of go about this question in a peripheral way. Okay. Everybody's going to obviously ask you who are you influences musically like the bands that that shaped you that you listened to growing up that you had the records what i want to know is what music were you listening to when you were very young just by default from your parents a great and question. family peripherally that you feel had an impact on your songwriting so i was actually thinking about this because this has to do with um a little breaking down the fourth wall, a little bit behind the scenes. We're gang taping this episode and, and Brian Harway's coming in right after this. We're going to tape his episode. And there's one of his tunes that I want to talk about that made me think about this exact question. So I'm so glad you asked because I was looking up all these old tunes, Everly brothers, 
Bye Bye yeah. Love, uh, Jim Croce, um, the Shirelles, Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow? Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, Del Shannon, My Little Runaway, oh, Run, right. Run, uh, you know, uh, Dion and the Belmonts, uh, Keep Away From a Run, Run Around, around Sue. Like all those tunes. So my parents had me when they were, they were a little bit older. So they weren't, you know, 70s and 80s listening to that stuff there yeah. they were 50s and 60s and so right. i would be riding around with my mom she'd be out running doing errands doing chores and stuff and she'd have the oldie station on and so right. that's all i listened to is 50s and 60s hits you know beatles all all of those ones i just mentioned yeah and i really think that that's what gave me such a great sense of you know like that simple one four five six minor songwriting formula was that's all i heard was those classic simple you know, four chord songs that just had a, had a strong hook. The lyrics were simple. They, it wasn't this huge complicated arrangement, you know? Right. And I, I, I'm glad you asked. Cause I, I really feel like that was the foundation of all my music right there. Right. And, and it comes to you in a format and in a way that you can't, I don't, it's hard to reprogram yourself. Absolutely. You know, yeah, it's like osmosis. You can't, right. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right. I mean, my parents or your parents age, they've been married for 50 years. Yeah. And, uh, my dad had the oldies station on 3WS 94.5 in Pittsburgh, which is not oldies anymore. I don't know what it is now. But I listened to a lot of AM radio as a kid yeah. in the car. So I, I, I'm, you know, I was born in 75. So you know, I heard a lot of Jim Croce, yeah. Cat Stevens, yep. um, you know, the Carly Simon, Neil Diamond, all that stuff. Barry Manilow. My mom loved Barry Manilow. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know why, but... Um, <laughs> and I think to myself, America, there's another band. Yeah. And I think to myself that, like you said, I think that had more of an impact on my songwriting than any record that I went out and bought myself and wore out. Absolutely. I, I would agree with that. Yeah. Yep. And I think, you know, you can definitely mold yourself in a certain direction. Yeah. But at the end of the day, man, those, they just, it seeps up. Yes. You know, yeah. <laughs> it just seeps it does. up. It does. It can't help. Yeah. No. Yep. And, it, and it's a cool thing. And I'm, I'm fortunate that, you know, that the music was so good. I mean, imagine kids now listening to the radio in their parents' car. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to seep up like something else. <laughs> exactly. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll do one final question. Is that okay? Sure. I'm going to do the job interview. <laughs> question where do you see yourself in five years uh, where do i see myself in five years um, what would be what would be ideal for you realistically um you know growing as a band as an artist uh so my goal as an artist has always been twofold one has been to make it sustainable for me so you know, my, my wife works right now. She's kind of the, the breadwinner while I'm building up this right. business. But I would love nothing more than to at least be able to contribute equally or in a pinch, you know, like if something happens with her job, I want to be, you know, like to make it right. sustainable to where we can make it off of what I make, you know, and that's not a lot. And so that would be the first goal. But I think my other goal has always been, I've, I've always wanted a group of guys or or I say guys, but a group of people to create music with and to make that sustainable. And what's cool is I've got such a great group and it's such a great band around me now for Second Echo that my biggest goal right now is I want to be able to make it sustainable to where they can walk away from their day jobs and we can just 
create music for a living. And, and that's a little bit taller order. Sure. However, I think it's obtainable. You know? I, I, th- I think it is too. I think your music and your songs are good enough uh, to do that. They're commercially uh, accessible, but not too much. Sure. You know, yeah, to where it's, it's not like so sugary and that, that you're just like, uh, it's a little too much. It's, it's perfect. It's, it's right there. At that, and, and I'm not saying that to you because, because uh, you're my friend. I'm being completely yeah. honest. Like yeah, from the first you. time I, I've heard you, you know, play your first song, I was like, oh, yeah. You know, this, yeah. this dude is, is legit. Yeah, like, yeah. He knows what he's doing. Yeah. And, uh, Michael, the same thing. Brian, same thing. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, um, I think that's an attainable goal. And I think that, uh, we need to work on the rock scene here in Vegas. Absolutely. Um, you know, we, you got counts vamped in a couple other places maybe to play, but I think we need to nurture that scene more. Absolutely. And to that point, you know, we will all agree that Vegas is a, you know, covers are king in Vegas. Sure. Right. But I will say from my experience and from what I've talked with people and the musicians I've met, there is a very fertile and, and burgeoning original scene here. And I agree. I think with some nurturing and with some promotion, I think it could be something really special and it's tough because you're in such a commercial city, you're in such a touristy city and it is those kind of hidden, the vamp, the sand dollar, some of those that, that have some of these really creative environments, you know, trying to really, and I think honestly, the one thing I'll, I'll encourage anybody listening, like if you are an artist yourself, please do not underestimate the importance of you as an artist going to see other artists, because that has been some of the most rewarding times for me to go and not only be inspired by somebody else's performing, but networking and, and the relationships I've built with people that way, like that's such a crucial part of your music career. Uh, crowds bring crowds and even if it's a crowd of musicians watching yes. musicians yeah you know the word gets out and, and it just it you know snowballs from there absolutely uh i have no more questions sir so uh, oh, first of all thank you for doing this absolutely I, I thank you for asking you me coming and doing this thank you to michael our sound tech back there appreciate it <laughs> i just want to end with one final thing just it really is the um kind of the crux of this song and the thing that i want to stand out out of this whole episode is one of the reasons i feel like it has so much potential to impact so many people is the the relevance of the time that we're in right now and it speaks volumes to me in a time where we're constantly being told who we are what's wrong with us what we've done wrong or right or whatever the essence of this song is Nobody can tell you who you are. Each of us have a compass in us and we have to point it at that true north. Of, and it's not, I'm not trying to say like, oh, follow your feelings. I'm not saying that. Like there is a true north. There is truth. There is, you know. For, for each individual. Ob- objectivity, yeah. you know. And so, well, for each person. But I would also say there is like, you okay, know, you know what I'm yeah. saying? You're, I understand. A universal. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. There are kind of universal things that. And one of the things that I've always wanted to be about is I want my music to be, I don't want it to be divisive. I don't want it to be political. I want it to be just uplifting. I want it to be unifying. And so I, I hope that as people hear this song and the other music that I write, that it'll be something that will be uplifting. It'll be inspiring. It'll be hopeful. You know, it'll, it'll be something that really 
inspires them to write or to do music or to do whatever it is in their life that's driving them, sure. you know, and, and to feel like there's something to look forward to, or the best is yet to come instead of this kind of nihilistic, like, oh, all the good days are behind us. No, like we live in a great country, man. Like there's a lot of opportunity here. And I want us to recognize that and just be hopeful that we can, if we put our hands to it, if we really get to work, we can accomplish some great things, you know? And kudos yeah. on that song, brother. Thank I mean, you, seriously, it's, that's what makes it special. It brings meaning to a lot of different things for a lot of different people. And that's what makes a great song. Sure. I can't think of a better way to end it. I think that'll do. Thank you, sir. You got it. Yeah. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Sing Along Podcast. And if you haven't done so already, be sure to click that subscribe button and then share this podcast with other music lovers and songwriters. If you'd like to submit a song or another artist, you can email me at singalongpodcast at gmail.com. Again, that's singalongpodcast at gmail.com. We'll be back next week with another brand new episode. But until then, this is Casey from Second Echo saying, don't be afraid to write a new melody. And don't ever forget when you find one to sing along. No, there's no Easter eggs. I'm, I'm not up to it. Go away.